0: I'm a fool. I didn't think so. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. But you just said something. Think, 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 think. Based on that music, it means I'm here today t- to tell you that God is God in the good times and in the bad. We are just diving right in because it's cold and I have coffee and this isn't annoying at all, is it? Ah, you're welcome. <laughs> and I wonder why nobody listens to this sort of thing. Anyway, we are continuing our walk through our worldview because uh, I keep watching the news. Well, I don't watch the news, but I read a lot of it. I have a, a handful of people that I follow on Twitter as, a, as an aggregate so that I can kind of keep up with the major stories of the day. And I see things from pop culture to politics to weather, economics. I mean, uh, it's all a mess, and it's all seemingly broken. Why? Because people, and by people I mean all the people, seemingly have broken worldviews. An understanding of how you see this place. If your worldview is not grounded properly upon a right understanding of who God is and what he is doing based out of scripture, then your worldview is going to be internally inconsistent. Now, why does that matter? An internally inconsistent worldview is going to lead you to double-mindedness, instability, and hypocrisy at every turn. Because you can't maintain any standard of stability and consistency because you are constantly evaluating in the moment rather than against a fixed standard. So... If you don't know what our foundations are because we took a long break, go back and listen to the first seven episodes in this series. It will do you good. It will walk you through Genesis to kind of show you big picture. Look, did we leave a bunch of stuff out? Yes. Why? Because it's not a systematic theology walkthrough. It's a walkthrough of Scripture with a point in mind trying to get you to see who God is, what he's doing, who we are— why those things matter in relation to each other, and then how do we understand and see that backed up in the rest of Scripture. So, we are in the prophets. We are at another major prophet, a really fun one that we are going to take two weeks to go through. Simply because it's almost like it's two different books. I'm talking about the young man, Daniel. We are going to dive through that. In the 3rd year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, hold on. So Jehoiakim becomes king of Judah 609-608 depending on who you ask. That's always the um the fun things about biblical history is that it depends on whose calendar system you utilize will depend on where you fall. In that year spectrum. So we'll talk about Israel. The northern kingdom of Samaria was destroyed in 722 or 721, depending on which historian you read. The temple in Jerusalem and Jerusalem was sacked in 587 or 586, depending on which historian you read. It depends on which, um, which dating mechanism they use and what they use as a starting point. Jehoiakim ends up coming into uh, power in uh, in 609, so 609, 608. So then depending on how you count first, second, third years and things like that, this is the first deportation, traditionally dated to 605. The lovely thing about Jerusalem is that she got multiple warnings despite warring against Jeremiah that judgment was coming and God delivered that judgment in stages which believe it or not was a blessing. We talked about how when you're reading through your prophets you will see both judgment and blessing kind of juxtaposed against each other because what you have is God saving his people in the midst of judging sin and you also have God judging sin in the midst of saving his people. So you see that even in this What I mean by that is the temple is destroyed in 586. Jerusalem is torn asunder 586. It is ripped apart the whole nine yards, final deportation. But before that, you have other victories by the Babylonians and deportations of nobility and uh, wise thinkers and promising young men. So Ezekiel is deported in the 597 um, exile. Daniel and buddies are sent out here in 605. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Now, with that... There's young men. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and some of the nobles. Youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Now, why does that matter? What the Babylonians tried to do for cultural assimilation was to try to take your best and brightest and assimilate them into the upper echelons of Babylonian culture and government and administration. What this would do from the Babylonian perspective was it would bring it would bring wisdom, plus it would bring the best of the best. I mean, not all the smart people exist in one empire. This is actually some some pretty good self-awareness here by the Babylonians. That, well, yes, we've conquered and we've defeated you. There's a good possibility that there are smart people among you. Let's grab them. Let's run them through the ringer, and whoever makes it, makes it. And if they don't, to quote the great prophet Drago, if he dies, he dies. And you don't worry about it, and you move on from there. Now, with that, though, if you are you know an Assyrian, or you're an Egyptian, or you know, you're whatever, you know you're from Sheba, or... Whatever random pagan nation, Moabite, edomite you don't care. All right, we're now worshiping this God, we're now following along, but if you're a faithful, notice that qualifier we're throwing up here, a faithful Israelite, Israelite plus tax, this would be an issue for for you because you're now being assimilated into a pagan culture, pagan diet, pagan worship, pagan history, all of these things coming together. So you can see from the very beginning there's going to be a conflict if you're a faithful israelite. Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So again, Daniel recognizing what? Go back to your foundations. That God is the creator and sustainer. Therefore, Daniel is de- is a dependent being, not upon Babylon, but upon God. Therefore, his standards move beyond Babylon to God. If Babylon says no, Daniel's probably just going to die. Plain and simple. That's what this request could have meant. That's what this could have been. And he's recognizing because, why is Daniel here? Because there's no one coming to save you. Like, Israel's SEAL Team 6 is not on the horizon. They're not coming to get you out of here. You have been defeated and humiliated. Your king is, you know basically a vassal, you're going to have a couple more kings get mistreated and slaughtered, and it's not going to be pleasant. This is, a, this is an understanding that there are greater things at play, and that the God who is faithful will be faithful, and that even if this world tries to take things from me. I can walk in faithfulness in the midst of it to him. It's the very first lesson. So what happens? God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has pointed your food and your drink. But why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Um, random thing here. They're stuck in the service of the king, so most likely Daniel and his buddies have been um, eunuched, so they have been castrated, and the idea behind this now is they're going to be fed choice food from the king, which means they should get what? Think about it for a second. They should get fat. They should gain weight. That's what the choice food and the, the rich meats and the wine is meant to do. Daniel wants vegetables and water. You getting fat on that? Probably not. Probably not. Realize this when someone tries to sell you on the Daniel diet or the Ezekiel bread or something like that, that the actual miraculous work of God was that they got fat in spite of the food they were eating. (laughs) It shouldn't have worked, but it did. So you have these young men standing faithful, God blessing this, and that's going to become the kickoff for the rest of this book. So what happens in chapter 2? In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled and sleep left him. The king gave orders to call the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell him the dreams. So they came and stood before Before the king, and the king said to them, "'I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand them.'" Um, Notice this real quick. This is one of uh, our—I talk about this on Sunday mornings, our rules for reading your Bible. This is a good place to catch up on one. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, The command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you'll be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made into rubbish. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore declare to me the dream and its interpretation." They answered a second time and said, let the king tell the dream to his servants and he will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time inasmuch as you have seen that the command is firm for me, that if you do not make known to the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. I know it's not a major thing, but in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his troubled spirit. The king gave orders. We know who he is. Tell the king his dreams. We're continually repeating this king thing. Why? Well, you know how this story goes if you grew up in Sunday school or you read your Bible. Daniel prays, Daniel gets the dream and its interpretation, and he goes. By the way, you want to hear a great understanding from Daniel? Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. In other words, he's creator. For it is he who changes the times and the epochs, and he removes kings and establishes kings, and he gives wisdom to wise men. He accomplishes, he sustains, he is savior. He is judge. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things, he who knows what is in the darkness and the light that dwells within him. To you, O O God, of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. I'm dependent. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. And yes, if you understand your Bible history, this should be a hearkening back to Joseph, where we're praising God for the understanding. We're praising God for the revelation. So what's the dream? Well, there was a dream in the interpretation. You, O king, or king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. The power, the strength, and the glory, and wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, has given them into your hands and has caused you to rule over them. You are the head of gold. And then you can read through in the rest of this. It's about that statue. What happens that last piece. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as much as you saw that a stone was cut out of a mountain without hands, that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future, so the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. In other words, God, the creator, and sustainer, will be savior to his people, and judge the nations, and he will tear down everything according to his plan, because he will accomplish all things. That kingdom will rise. That kingdom will stand. Now, if you're Nebuchadnezzar, you're impressed. If you're Nebuchadnezzar, you should also be terrified, because you've been warned that what is true, that you are not king of creation, that God is you ever wonder why you see what you see in chapter 3 with the golden image? That's why. The heart of sin is a heart of rebellion. It is a heart of iniquity. It is a heart of deception. And this is why Paul in Romans 1 talks about what he talks about, that although they knew God, they rejected, they give hearty approval to those who do the same. Why? Because I don't want Soothing from God. I want my sin, which means the problem I'm having is your bringing up my sin, which means the problem I'm having is not my sin, it's you. It's a heart of rebellion, it's a heart of deception, and you see that with Nebuchadnezzar. He makes a golden image, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width was 6 cubits. It's basically a giant monolith. I mean, a cubit is 18 inches, so a foot and a half, so. 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. Yeah, it's a big, tall, stinking statue. Sets it up in the plain of Dur in the province of Babylon. And he sends word that basically we're going to play the music. And we play the music, what do you do? You bow down and worship. Ah, <sighs> got to love this. Now, of course, we know that Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael say no. Of course, they're listed here by their new Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they have the greatest reply in scripture. Top five, in my opinion, Bible verses as far as my world is concerned. Of course, if you know me, number one Bible verses, Nehemiah 1325. I beat them about the head and pulled out their beards and made them swear by God. So, you know, that's, that's number one. But this might be a close one, like 1A here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. Actually, you know what? Let's make sure we get the weight of this. Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. This is gold right here. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O oh, king. But even if He does not. Let it be known to you, O King, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And of course, you know the story. They get thrown in. There is one walking around like the son of God, a son of the gods, in there, and they are delivered by the uh, by the Christophany there. And Nebuchadnezzar still doesn't get it. Still doesn't get it. So you get to chapter four. He's got this vision of a great tree because he's demonstrating and walking around praising himself and seeing all of these things. He's not the tree. Well, he is, but he's not the tree that covers the earth. God is. So what happens? Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. Until what? Until God's done humbling him. Till God's done bringing him down. Proving what? Proving what? Nebuchadnezzar could not have walked away at any time. Nebuchadnezzar was there because of God's judgment. Read Daniel 4. It'll do you good. Why take Nebuchadnezzar and tear him down for that period? The answer is simple. He's creator. He's sustainer. He's the accomplisher. He is savior and judge, not you. And that's why Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes towards heaven And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? See, that's the punchline. At that time, my reason returned to me. My majesty and splendor were restored to me, and for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began to be seeking me out. And I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. That's the point. See... God who is willing to tear down that level of power is the God who can crush Egypt, is the God who can work in the life of Joseph, is the God who can spare Daniel and give him strength, is the God who can deliver from the fiery furnace, is the God who walks and works in every avenue of life. That's part of this lesson here, is that his salvific work and his judgment against sin reaches into every avenue of life, from the lowly pauper to the exalted prince. He is king. You are not. And if you missed that message, Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. And he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. Belshazzar tasted the wine. He gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem. And what happens? The little hand shows up and starts writing on the board. Or writing on the wall. What does it say? You've been weighed. You've been measured. You've been found Wanting. The Chaldean is killed. The Medes take over. Kingdoms rise. Kingdoms fall. Statues rise. Statues fall. God alone perseveres and is the long-suffering ruler of history. God and God alone. Daniel is a walking example of this. A walking example. I mean, at this point, we are moving down through history. We are... Excuse me, we are moving across. Daniel's been here for decades. Decades. And yet you're still seeing faithfulness. You're still seeing the work of God amongst the pagan nations. You'll see from Jeremiah that God is still encouraging his own children. He is still encouraging his people to live faithfully. He's still reminding him of his salvation and his grace and the work that he will accomplish. All of that is still going on. You can even fast forward. Chapter 6, move on till Daniel's an old man sitting around doing his job. Well, you know what we'll do. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 100, 100 sat, 120 satraps over the kingdom. They would be in charge of the whole kingdom. Now, Daniel distinguishes himself. Why? Because he has an extraordinary spirit, and he's going to be appointed over the whole kingdom. So they conspire. We'll not find any grind of accusation against this, Daniel, lest we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Because all the way back to the beginning... What's Daniel care about more than anything else? God. Excuse me. So king, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the high officials and the governors have consulted together. The king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes, an, a, a, who, that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days should be cast into the lion's den. Hey, what, could be, what could go wrong with that? The answer is everything. Because you're not the savior you're not the judge you may be an agent of him but you are not him and to put yourself in that position is to say i seek to be like the most high so you know the story daniel refuses praise anyway they spy him out he's tossed to the lions the lions sit there all night quietly because the angel keeps their mouth shut the next day the people who uh, spurred darius darius however you want to say it up against daniel they're thrown in and the lions devour him and Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land. May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. His dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Always remember that. We're on our third nation since Daniel's gone into exile. We've gone from the Babylonians to the Medes, now we're into the Persians. And Daniel is still doing what? Walking faithfully, trusting in God. Now, has it always been fun for Daniel and his friends? And the answer is no, of course not. They were ripped from their homes, traveled to a foreign nation. Their bodies were mutilated. They've been threatened. They've had their culture uprooted. They've had their religion changed. They've had new languages, new customs, new lives, new everything. What's the constant? The constant is God. The constant is faithfulness to him who is called, him who has worked, and him who can and will deliver, sanctify, and purify his people. That's the punchline of everything here, is that decades can go by. God hasn't forgotten. Years can just, you know, melt away. God hasn't stopped. He is above all, and he is working in the midst of all. Daniel succeeds because no matter what happened in Babylon, Daniel couldn't fail because Daniel and friends remembered and honored God above all else. And why should they? Because he's creator. He's the one who's preserved them. He is the one who will save them. He is the one who will be faithful to them. He is the one who will accomplish his plans and purposes in the long game. He is the one who will accomplish all the things that he has promised. And he is the one who will sanctify their very souls. In other words, our foundations. As we remember those, we can walk in the midst of a world that does not know and proclaim. Now here's the thing. Did Daniel change the world? No. Could argue Daniel barely even changed, you know, the people around him. But he was faithful. Therefore, he was successful, and the testimony went forth, and God is pleased, and God upholds his people, and even if Daniel dies, even, O king, if he does not, we will not bow down to the image you have made. doesn't matter what you threaten us with. doesn't matter what you think you can take away from us. God is God. You are not, and we will follow him. So what we learned here today, children, God reigns over all times. God reigns even in the face of tyranny, and God's reign knows no end. Next week we'll have real fun. Because the reason I tell you it's like two books is because in light of all of that work, then begins the prophetic ministry of Daniel. And the prophetic ministry of Daniel is very much centered on what's known as apocalyptic literature. Working through and explaining the final work of God. Can I let you in on a little secret? The final work of God is very much like the initial work of God, which is very much like the continuing work of God that he is doing even today. It is a work based upon his character, his nature, who he is from the beginning, and how he is working out the attributes of who he is in the lives of his people. So, until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.